TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner. To the Ukraine we go. It's been a while, but he's been there over 30 years. Rabbi Yaakov de Bleich is the chief rabbi of the Ukraine. Ukraine, and unfortunately, the news once again. So, Rabbi Bleich, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi. Say good morning over here. It's morning already. It's good morning here in America, too. So, I know things are heating up in the news. Tell us what's been going on over the last 24 hours. Let me tell you what happened on Friday, because Friday is really when things started getting clear what the plan, uh, what Putin's plan is. On Friday, uh, there was a, a proclamation publicized in LNRR and DNR. In 2014, the Russians moved into Ukraine, into two regions on the eastern border of Ukraine, Lugansk and Donetsk. And they basically occupy these places, and they've been shooting from there for the last eight years. So Ukraine has been under a certain siege, or I would say war. People, over 14,000 people have been killed. However, Ukraine has been careful, and since the main fighting stopped, they made some sort of, uh, I would, you know, let's call it some sort of ceasefire. And now what happened was suddenly the Russians announced that they're going to be evacuating civilians from those two places, Lugansk and Donetsk, because of the aggression of the Ukrainians. This is regular uh, Russian propaganda going on over there. So once we heard that, we understood that this is a place that they want to use for war. They they evacuated over Shabbos, over 10,000 people, civilians from that area, and they began shooting. So over the last 24 hours, 136 missiles and different shootings from different types of mortars and guns and different things took place. This is, you know, almost like Lahav, I feel like, you know, in Israel, when the Palestinians are shooting from Gaza, the difference over here is that the Ukrainians have not reacted. They've kept quiet because they understand that these provocations are there to provoke them, to try and get them to shoot back. Uh, the, the, the Russian proxies are shooting from residential areas if the ukrainians shoot back they'll hit a residential building or something and that will be a, a pretext for putin to say okay i have to come in i have to save the russians uh, so that's basically what's happening so we see the beginnings of what his plan is which is to use probably donetsk and lugansk and to start basing his soldiers in there now, now how many jews are still left in the ukraine Okay, in, in Ukraine in general, there's between 350 and 400,000 Jews that we know of. That's a large and very large number. Yeah, that's a lot of Jews. It's one of the largest uh, communities in Europe. And wh- what is the feeling? Do they want to leave? Do they want to stay? Because so, far, so far, people are not leaving. The, even the Israel that's trying to get its people, its citizens to leave, and they have, according to their estimation, between ten and 15,000, and they've been blasting all over that everybody has to leave, leave, leave. Only like 3,000 of them left. The The flights to, to Israel are not even all full. Not, so uh-huh. that's, for, that's for Israeli citizens. As far as Ukrainian citizens living here, Jews, so some have gone to Israel. Unfortunately, when they get to Israel, they don't always get the nicest uh, welcome there because they're trying to 
pressure people to make Aliyah now. So people would go to Israel now, let's say, to sit it out. They have relatives there and everything else. When they come in, they're right away bombarded by the uh, Israeli uh, border patrol. Why are you coming for? What are you going to do here? Why don't you make Aliyah? Why don't you make Aliyah? And uh, unfortunately, that caused some of the families from my community to cancel their, their plans. They were planning to go to Israel because they heard the way some of the people were, uh, were welcome there. But so, in general, there's no mass exodus at this point. So, But is there fear going in the communities in general, Jews and non-Jews? Are people very concerned? Do they think it's going to blow over? Because if they're not leaving, it sounds like people, are they taking it seriously? So it, it depends what part of it. Everybody understands that Putin is going to do something. The the fear is the fear of the unknown. They don't know what he's going to do. The Americans are screaming he's coming into Kiev. You know, the United States uh, evacuated its embassy and its embassy staff in an unprecedented move. They cleaned out the entire embassy of all communications and computers and didn't even leave one U.S. you know Army Marine to 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 guard it. It's being guarded by the Ukrainian National Guard. Now. I guess they were they're afraid of what happened in Afghanistan, so they're not taking any chances here. Yeah, I mean it's it really apples and oranges to try you know to compare what what happened in Afghanistan. But I guess they're trying to to do chuva for what they, what happened in Afghanistan here. It's just it's not it's not uh, you know the same situation. But the the Brits, the Canadians have also evacuated their embassies to Lvov. That's Western Ukraine, closer to the Polish border. And Israel is also talking about, uh, you know, evacuating, you know, maybe their embassy staff to Lvov as well. So on the one hand, you see a very, very serious, and, and Biden is saying it, now they even came out that, that they know the Russians are coming into Kiev and they have a list similar to what, if you remember the, the cards when the Americans went into Iraq, who they're going to get and arrest all the different members of the government and get a, that, that, you know, as if the Russians have this list of who they're going to get when they come into Ukraine. So that's quite frightening on the one hand. The other hand, people don't think it's realistic for Putin to be able to come into Kiev now. He may shoot. He may, you know, shoot missiles. They see him more coming in on the borders. However, one of the, the things that Putin is doing is a psychological warfare where you don't know what he's going to do, right? He's, he's laughing all the way to the bank, so to speak, because the Americans said at 1 a.m. on Tuesday night to Wednesday morning, that's when he's attacking. And now here it's, we're on Sunday, and he hasn't attacked yet. Although he has begun to attack in Donbass, but that's mostly in that region that he was occupying anywhere anyway. A lot of shooting just to make noise for people to say, oh, there's shooting. But 136 shots were fired into Ukrainian-controlled territory over the last 24 hours. So the attacks, to, to some extent, we can say it began, but people aren't running as quickly as we would expect. Now, the Jews do have a feeling of, of being besieged. There's a siege going on. You know, the, the, the ports are closed. There's war games going on in the Black Sea, the Azov Sea. So basically, uh, Ukraine is, for all practical purposes, ground locked at this point. They don't really have access. They have access, but not normal access to the sea. Uh, and, uh, and then on, on three sides, you have Russian soldiers, three three sides of the, uh, you know, three different borders, the north, Belarus, and the south, and on the east. So there is a feeling of pressure that something's going to happen that is pressuring people. At the same time, there's no mass exodus at this point, Jeff. 
I find that surprising because the way it's spoken about, at least in the media here, is that it's any day the president of the United States said any day. It's Wednesday. He's had a press conference on Friday. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. So, um, but but you, but from what I'm hearing from you, Chief Rambo, is that the sense of urgency isn't as great in the Ukraine as we're hearing outside the Ukraine. Right. It's not. When the, when the uh, I get, I'm saying, obviously, I'm an American, so I'm in touch. My family's in America and everything else. So obviously, I, I know what's going on in American news also. I see it. And um, it's, it is, it is you know, people, the Ukrainians felt that the Americans were causing panic too early. Uh, the Ukrainians, can, at this point, the Ukrainians also see that it's happening. But uh, they just felt that the Americans built up that panic too high, too early, and they shouldn't have done it that early when they weren't sure exactly. But I guess, you know, they wanted to err on the same side. So what had Exactly a week ago, we had a call with the Israeli ambassador to Ukraine. On Thursday, the Israelis said, doesn't look like anything's going to happen. Strengthen your security. Make sure no attacks on shuls or Jewish buildings. You know, we had to, you know, get more and uh, stronger security than we usually have. On Friday, Shabbos, the Israelis suddenly said everyone must evacuate. All of their, uh, all of the Israeli citizens, and they forced employees of the state, like say even teachers in the schools, to evacuate. So on Sunday we had a call with the ambassador, representatives of the of the foreign ministry, Nativ, that's the prime minister's office, and and the Sachnut, and they're saying every has to evacuate. So I asked them, what changed from Thursday to Friday? Did you get new information, or is it just because Biden said that you should do it? Because Biden tells us all to get vaccinated, also, right? The question is, I'm saying, is, is, is it real, right? And, um, and they said, well, even if there's a 1% chance that something will happen, we don't want, you know, we'd rather err on the safe side. So the Israelis are being quite, you know, uh, I would say also outspoken. The question is if they're just doing it along with the Americans or if they have their own intelligence sources. But that does, that did, that raise, there's no question about it, that the Israeli uh, directive raised within the Jewish communities more of a feeling of, of pressure and panic when they saw all the Israeli teachers that are within the community. They're embedded. You know, they're part of our community leaving. It definitely raised that feeling more. Now, what are the amount of Jews or the numbers of Jews living in the areas where you're saying the Russians are most likely to invade? They won't go to Kiev, but they'll go to the outlying areas. Is there, are there a large concentration of Jews in those areas? Okay, in 2014, when the Russians came into those areas, most of the Jews left. At that time, there were approximately 20,000 Jews living there. We estimate today that there are probably two or 3,000 Jews, most of them elderly. Actually, I got a call last night from a, a, a young man that studies in our yeshiva here in Kiev. His mother, his grandmother are still there. If, if they do evacuate into Russia, which the, the, which the Russians are trying to do is to evacuate the civilians, we want to know if we can be in touch with the Jewish community where they'll be going in Russia that to try and get them help. His grandmother's 94 years old, etc., and everything else. So there are there are still Jews left there, mostly elderly and people that couldn't leave for whatever reason. Whoever was able to, most of them came over to mainland Ukraine, to you you know Ukraine-controlled territory. The people living in Kiev, the rabbi of Donetsk is living in Kiev with a lot of members of his community, Rabbi Pinchasvishetsky. The rabbi of um, of Lugansk is also uh, living in Kiev now. They both started communities here and shuls here, and they're both developing, you know, based on starting with their people. So, so there aren't as many Jews as there were, but there's 
still are a few thousand Jews living in that area. And that's the area of Donbass that is already occupied. But if they come in Ukraine further, and, and Putin's, for all we know, let's say the easiest or the, the lightest goal that he'll have is to get himself a land uh, uh, connection to Crimea, which he illegally occupied in 2014. And, he, and right now, the only connection to Russia he has is with a bridge over the Kerch Straits. So if he tries to get a land connection, so he'll be going through places like Zaporozhye and, and uh, Kherson and Mariupol, where there are still, you know, sizable Jewish communities. So those parts, that part of, of eastern Ukraine is still, you know, I would say within uh, within sight of, of Putin. We don't know what it'll be. He may want to take over, you know, and landlock Ukraine and then go into places like Odessa, where there's a very, very large Jewish community. There are two communities actually there in Odessa. So all of these, you know, these things, it's the unknown. And this is the fear of the unknown that we're dealing with. And many of the communities have made, uh, you know, contingency plans, what to do, even if they have to evacuate for a couple of weeks or for a short time. And how is that? Who's going to coordinate the evacuation going to leave? There has to be some leadership to help people. Is that something that you're helping put together? Contingency plans? I'm together. I'm working together with the communities that are that have these plans. I'm working together with them in Odessa, the Odessa community and other communities that are that are actually working on plans what to do in contingency i'm working with them but not all communities are are well, the rabbonim all stay no rabbonim left so the, there'll be people in the communities that will help and that will you know lead any effort whatever has to be done but um but not all the communities are making uh, plans well, some of the up uh, but those that don't make plans could end up in a lot of hot water when things heat up now I was always under the impression that nothing was going to really happen until after the Olympics were over. You know something? The the in the previous time when, when the Russia attacked Crimea, it happened during the Olympic Games when the Olympic Games were going on in Russia. So now the Olympic Games are in China, so you know it's it could you know it's a distraction. Again, you could never he he's very unpredictable, Putin. And therefore it's hard to say this will happen, that will happen, this won't happen, that won't happen. We don't know. He's, uh, you know, part of his game is his unpredictability, that he doesn't want you to really know what he's going to do. And it's part of the psychological warfare. He's achieved a lot of his goals without even attacking, you know, the Ukrainian economy, which, which was rebuilding over the last couple of years, is now taking a dive because of the, the lack of foreign investment, because people don't know what Putin is planning to do. So these things are part of his, you know, modus operandi, you think I'll come in then and there? I'll go, you know, at a different time, different place, and all of this is, is playing out now. Was there a cyber attack, or are there cyber attacks against the infrastructure of Ukraine right now? There was last week a cyber attack in, uh, against the Ministry of Defense and against the major banks in Ukraine, and the Americans uh, identified it as having uh, come and started in Russia. As we know, Russia has been perfecting these cyber attacks over the last number of years. Uh, over different countries, whether it's the United States and obviously Ukraine, which which uh, also gets these attacks quite often. Uh, if there'll be an attack, we're sure that that'll be part of it. Um, part, you know, in Russia, we call it the, they've been calling this type of warfare from Russia hybrid warfare, which means it's not only shooting. There's cyber attacks and there are other things, and Russia's uh, basically perfected a lot of this stuff to uh, to be able to 
you know, hit the major infrastructure, whether it's electricity or things like that. The, the only thing is that Ukraine is not a hundred percent computerized country. In other words, Estonia, for instance, which is one of the small Baltic countries, there everything in the country works on computer. Russia did a, a cyber attack against them, and they're able to basically shut down the entire country. In Ukraine, it's not so easy because a lot of things are still working the old-fashioned way. So even though they could cause a lot of havoc and damage with cyber attacks, but that's not going to be enough to, to get the country down. But what, that's one of the things, for instance, the community in Kiev that I lead, uh, we're uh, dealing with a, a, a summer camp that we've winterized over the last couple of years, I think, you know, two years or so, we've been winterizing it. Um, and one of the things that's on our list that we have to get is a generator that in case, God forbid, the electricity goes because of a cyber attack, whatever other reason, if the grid is knocked down, to have a, um, a generator that's going to be able to keep, you know, giving us electricity, whatever it is that we need so that the people that are there will be able to continue to function. You're going to have, we're going to talk about how the, how people are going to be able to help you too. We're speaking with Rabbi Yaakov Bleich. He is the chief rabbi of the Ukraine. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is Talkline with Zeb Rana. He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevbrenner at gmail.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner, and we're we're speaking live in Ukraine. And uh, Rabbi, the Chief Rabbi of the Ukraine, Rabbi Bleich joins Yaakov Dov Bleich joins us, and we're looking at this situation, which is changing and evolving as we speak. Okay, uh, Chief Rabbi, let me just ask you this question. So, things are moving. You have about uh, 300,000, 400,000 Jews that are there. Anytime there's war, there's going to be this location, even if it's only a small portion of the country. So, um, it, it puts you in a perilous situation. So, you were talking about evacuating people. How are you doing it? Do you have to raise funds for that? Is the funds in the community already there? Give us an idea of what's transpiring. Okay, what happened was when we when we realized over the last couple of weeks what the uh, what the possibility of what may happen. So, a number of communities we've been together, we've been in touch together to see what we can do. Uh, obviously, um, it's not easy, but one of the problems is because of the threat of war, the local philanthropists, the people that would normally uh, 
support the community are having a very hard time giving money because they don't know what's going to happen as it is the economy is taking a hit. So we uh, first we set up contingency plans. However, the money for it, we, we're raising. We're trying to raise. We're doing a crowdfunding now. For instance, the Kiev community is doing a crowdfunding uh, fundraiser now on charity.com slash help Kiev. But uh, I also reached out to, to Jewish organizations, including the World Jewish Congress and the European Jewish Congress, Ronald Lauder, Moshe Cantor, and other uh, different philanthropists to try and see what they can do to help us. The idea that we have is, uh, and this is different communities, because we own uh, campgrounds 100 kilometers outside of Kiev to the west of Kiev, because that's where we're looking to get as far west as possible. Uh, so we have begun winterizing it already, and the, a number of the buildings have heat. So we're we're pretty lucky because we can go there to our own place, and if God forbid anything happens, we'll be a hundred kilometers away from from Kiev. Uh, we have to add heat to some of the buildings. We have to buy a, uh, a generator. We have to stock up on food. All these things we have to do. But at least we have our own place where to go. Some of the others are looking around at different places they have to rent. Obviously, when you further west you go, the prices are going up now, and it's and it and you know it's 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 challenging. It is very very challenging. The idea is that if God forbid there's a uh, there is a war, it'll be difficult to travel within the country. There'll be mayhem. A lot of people will be running. A lot of uh, a lot of refugees, and the roads are going to be clogged, and and the army will be using it. A lot of different scenarios come to mind. Because I because, right now, because the president of the United States said I think or I read in the media here there could be a tremendous amount of casualties uh, should any invasion take place. So we're talking oh, yeah, about yeah. God forbid. I mean that, this is something that he said, and and I was questioned by by different journalists over the last week where he picked that number of fifty thousand casualties. You know something? I don't know. I think he took it out of a hat, and I think that some of it is really to try and scare off the Russian population. Because nobody likes body bags, and if there are, if there are, God forbid, there's war, there's losses on both sides and casualties on both sides, and nobody's looking for that. It's senseless. It doesn't make sense. People are trying to figure out what does Putin want here. He wants Ukraine not to join NATO. Ukraine is not joining NATO within the next five, ten years in any case, right? So what is he, what is he trying to accomplish here? And this is part of the 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 thing that we're trying to figure out because this war is senseless. So what is the thinking in the Ukraine as to what he's trying to accomplish? What he, in Ukraine, people think that he's just trying to make sure that the standard of living here doesn't get better than it is in Russia. If the economy will develop, if they if he just leaves Ukraine alone, they'll build up, they'll, their economy will develop, it will it'll become a prosperous country. It's a country with a lot of natural resources and, and a, a very intelligent population that's really driven to work. And uh, that's what people think. That's what, pe- you know, that's what people are thinking here. But there has to be more to it than that. If if Putin wants to invade and he has such a massive amount of troops, um, like I said, number one, he doesn't want NATO in his backyard. But you said it's number going to take two, five or ten years. It's not happening anyway so quickly. Right. Number two, he wants to be respected as a superpower. He he feels the breakup of the Soviet Union is one of the greatest tragedies of the twentieth century. Number three, he's looking to get a ground a ground bridge from Russia to Crimea. I mean, all of these things are all part of his puzzle, what he's trying to do. Uh, but but then again, it's, we can't, you know, creep into his head to think what, he, you know, to know what he's thinking. But these are the different things that people are seeing 
what, of what he's trying to do. He's trying to rebuild, you know, the Russian pride, the Russian empire. He thinks it's he thinks that Ukraine is his sphere of influence and he should have control. You know, and many people are saying the similar way that the United States had the, the Cuban uh, missile crisis. They didn't want missiles in their backyard either. The difference is that Ukraine is not aggressor. They haven't ever attacked anyone. As a matter of fact, Russia signed the Budapest Memorandum in 1994 that they'll respect and and, and uh, guarantee the borders, the integrity, the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Russia was a, a signatory to that, along with Britain, France, and the United States. Now, you mentioned that Israel has been advising people to leave and also got its personnel to leave as well. Did you have any help from Israel security-wise to protect institutions, buildings, shuls, nursing homes? Did the Israeli government and security help at all in doing protection for any of these places? The Israeli government will not do protection overseas, but they did help with uh, advisors and advice. They helped us, you know, do evaluations of the of the communal buildings. But that's an ongoing project that has been going on. However, it's the responsibility of the local community themselves to do it. Uh, this is one of the questions I actually asked the ambassador last week with the Israel Chutz. I said, you guys are leaving and sort of you're leaving the community behind. Would you be willing to help us financially with the security or, you know, with food? These are the two things that are the most important things, you know, humanitarian issues that I think they would be able to help with. However, at this point, Israel is only able to help its citizens and people who want to make Aliyah. Now, depending how things play out, we're, even though it seems like it's a distance away is Pesach, but it, for, for what can happen not only could it affect the day-to-day with food, but it also can it also affect matzahs and Pesach and distribution as well. If I'm, I'm looking a little long-term. Yeah, it's not so long-term. All matzah factories are working already. So we have basically Ukraine, which happens to be a very, very agricultural and uh, developed food industry, most of our food is, is, is made locally. So we have a machine matzah factory in Kiev. There are hand matzah factories in Ukraine as well that produce hand matzahs and, and export them all over the world, but also sell them within Ukraine. So wine is produced in Ukraine. Grape juice is produced in Ukraine. The, the staples that we would need for Pesach are produced locally. And we hope, with God willing, that, you know, that we'll be able to supply the communities as we have in the past with the locally produced uh, food products, kosher for Pesach. However, it's definitely something that we're taking into consideration. It's something that we're thinking about. You know, Purim's around the corner and Pesach is not far behind. So it's obviously something that we're going to have to deal with. But at this point, we're dealing with the immediate emergency and that is to see, to have a contingency plan in case we have to evacuate to be able to get people out. And we've begun, you know, this voluntary evacuation last week already Tuesday. You know, people that were afraid because of what the Americans said that they're going to attack a uh, number of people already evacuated to the camp on Tuesday, another two bus loads on Thursday, but the majority of the community has still stayed uh, staying, stayed put in Ukraine, in Kiev. Now, notwithstanding what's happening with Putin and Russia, are you seeing levels of anti-Semitism rising in the Ukraine? In Ukraine? No, thank God. Thank God not. Thank God that's... Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, you know, the... the in 2014, there were attacks on Jewish, uh, on Jews and on Jewish communities, but we were able to uh, catch some of the perpetrators, and we figured out they were being sent by Russia to attack Jewish uh, Jews and Jewish communities in Ukraine to make the Ukrainians look bad. This is uh, modus operandi, straight out of Russia's handbook, 
that took place during World War II and after the Soviets were very good at this, at the diversions. And you're not concerned that they're going to do it again this time around, also to send anti-Semites to serve the population? Once we well, once we call them out on it, we know about it. We strengthen the security. It's 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 very difficult for them to do it. They can only do it when people are you know still not sure of what's happening. As a matter of fact, we should understand that one of the reasons Biden keeps on saying what he's saying, they're going to attack. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're going, they're planning their, the, these provocations is because by calling out these things, it does stop. To a great to a certain extent, obviously, it stops them from being able to use some of these things that they're doing. For instance, there was an announcement on Shabbos that these Wagner group, these Wagner soldiers from Russia, came into Donetsk to booby trap buildings and blow up buildings to make it look like the Ukrainians attacked. This was called out immediately. This intelligence is going out immediately, and the reason why it's going out immediately is because they're trying to stop. Russia from using these tactics in this uh, hybrid war. What is the Ukrainian government doing to help Jewish institutions? I mean, they have their hands full, but is there any help, any assistance that they're giving you and the community? There's a great, there's a great level of cooperation, first of all, coordination with the, with the government and the Jewish communities throughout Ukraine. But something that they've been doing now that they weren't able to do eight years ago is they're, they're putting out police cars in front of shuls and Jewish buildings so that there shouldn't be any of these provocations. They're helping with that 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 amount of security they're helping with. So you find they've been very helpful in that area. But in area, yeah. I think that's the only area that we can expect at this point for them to be helpful. Right. And if any evacuation has to take place, you're pretty much on your own with that. Yeah. Well, you know, the the government is going to have, like you say, they have their hands full with everything they're doing. But the way we're evacuating, yeah. you know, you can't expect them to evacuate the Jews and not everybody else. The Jews are a part of the community here. If it's good for Ukraine, it's good for the Jews of Ukraine. It's bad for Ukraine, bad for the Jews of Ukraine. You know, we're not in any way here, uh, you know, standing out or trying to do things for Jews or say that things are, are more difficult for Jews than they are for others. Now, you mentioned this, you have a campaign that you're raising funding. How is that coming along? Baruch Hashem, very good. We went live on Thursday, and we already raised over $100,000. Uh, obviously, our goals are, you know, more closer to $700,000. But we we're still, you know, talking to, like I say, major Jewish organizations and philanthropists. And Mr. Shem, we hope that we're going to be able to get at least for step one, which is to, to stockpile food, buy the necessary, you know, uh, generator, put the heating in the buildings that don't have it, strengthen the heating in the buildings that do have it. For instance, one of the buildings has a heating system that's electric. We got to switch it over to a wood burning heat. So that, you know, if God forbid the electricity goes, that we can still heat the building. We have to, all of these things were taken care of by my team here in Kiev, of, of my people from within my community, you know, the security people and the logistics people that worked out a whole plan of what they're doing. So $100,000 is, is a good start, but you need, you're looking to raise $700,000. So you're looking to reach out to not just philanthropists, but I, guess, I would assume to just individuals as well to be involved in the campaign. Am I correct? A hundred percent. That's what the crowdfunding is all about. This, this hundred thousand dollars is crowdfunding. That's what it is. It's people sending in eighteen dollars, one hundred eighty dollars, five hundred, a thousand, etc., and everything else. It's just people sending in money to charity. dot com slash help Kiev. So, so let's give out that information one more time. That's uh, charity with the D C H A R I D Y. dot com slash help Kiev. H E L P 
K-I-E-V or K-Y-I-V, help Kiev. So just to reiterate, uh, Chief Rabbi, so the, the feeling is that when Russia invades, it's not a question of if, but when, it's only going to be a small portion of the country. The outskirts are close to where they invaded last time, but it's not going to be a full-scale invasion of the whole country, including Kiev. That's what I We don't know. We don't know. That's the Americans and the Brits and are saying that it will be a full blown invasion. But I'm just saying the feeling that people have here, they don't they don't they think it would be like a suicide bombing for for Putin to try to come in. So be he'll take a lot of casualties and it'll cause a lot of casualties in Ukraine. And people it's just hard for them to believe that this is gonna happen, that the Russian people will go to war with the Ukrainian people. So but if, if God forbid that does happen, does that change your plans? Yeah, well, that will cause us to do a mass evacuation of our communities. No question about it. And, and where would you evacuate to? No, you know, if, if Kiev, if if the place that we chose, which is 100 kilometers west of Kiev, is going to, God forbid, be under fire, we prepare to place further, you know, closer to the Hungarian border. The only thing is that the infrastructure out there to be able to to take care of the people, kosher food, etc., is much more difficult. And then the prices are much different. You have to rent space and you don't you know this is ukraine you could rent from someone and in the middle of your rental come and say the prices went up pay double so that's why we're we're trying to to focus on our own place we feel much more secure and comfortable uh in a place that we own that everything will you know that will be okay from the, from what our security people are saying now that should be okay however you know where things change we're we're going to have to be able to to react spontaneously. Now, so you'll be able to move quickly to move to the area near the Hungarian border? With, should With Hashem's help. With Hashem's help. With Hashem's help. But that probably would increase your cost, as you're saying, too. Uh, yeah, most definitely. No question about it. Wow. Wow. Precarious situations. So um, we wish you a lot of luck. With, uh, with with Hopefully nothing is going to happen, but it sounds like something is going to transpire from what you're saying, from what the American administration is saying, what the intelligence is showing, that the Putin will do something. Hopefully it won't be a massive invasion of the whole country. But if that does get to be the case, uh, you're planning for the provision. By the way, how many people are you looking to evacuate in, in case, God forbid, whether it's a portion of the country or the whole country, how many people are you looking to evacuate? I'm I'm responsible for the Kiev community. So, you know, the people that are that are connected to the to the shul and to the community you're talking about, let's say, you know, there's over a thousand people that we're in touch with on a regular basis. So we, in our space that we have now, we have prepared 320 places, which can be stretched if we have to. But there are also two neighboring campuses that we're uh, that we negotiated with, in case we have that we can take another four or five hundred people. So we we would be able to take seven eight hundred people there just to this place that we have prepared. The but first it, step, step one, three hundred. But it sounds to me, if there's an invasion and people start panicking, which they're not doing now, you probably could end up with more than 800 people that are, that are going to want to be evacuated. Well, then we're going to have to we'll have to work them with places more west. We have we, you know all of this stuff because we're in touch with communities throughout. So you know we have that ability to be fluid because if some communities are left and not you know not invaded, nothing happens there. So we're able to move around. For instance, Uman. Uman has, you know, a, a nice few hundred. Most of them are foreign Jews living there, and most of them have not evacuated. So, and Uman has a big infrastructure as well. They have hotels, they have food, you know, they have the the the, the big kitchen that Shiner supports for for Yom Neroim. That's there. That's able to, you know, to help people if, if people will be needed. So, one of the places that we're looking at as a 
as a contingency is Uman, believe it or not. Yeah, because they already have an infrastructure there. So that makes sense. So you have kosher food there and you have hotels and you have Jews that are there. So it does make any sense. Uh, Chief Rabbi. Another very, yeah. another very important point is our early, we have an old age home, an assisted living home within Kiev where we have elderly Jews living. We can't evacuate them. So part of our thing is to, you know, shelter in place. And part of the plan is to, you know, we bought uh, sleeping bags, flashlights, possibilities for them to cook, to, you know, convert the basement of the building to a, to a bomb shelter. All of this stuff is, is what we call shelter in place. But there's, you know, going to be a lot of people that are not going to be able to evacuate. And you have a generator there, are you, or, or are you just, just using wood? We have generators. We, we ordered. We didn't buy them yet, but for that building to keep them going. Rabbi Yaakov Dov Bleich, the chief rabbi of Ukraine, thank you for being with us. Give us that crowdfunding source one more time again. With Charid D, with a D, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com slash help Kiev. Thank you for joining us. So, uh, we hope that we'll have a, a week of Surah Tavis. Amen, amen. And, uh, should be, should be good. Hopefully you'll get spared you, the invasion. Hopefully you'll be sorry? spared. The, I said hopefully you'll be spared the invasion. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. We hope so, and things will be good. And it'll be Surah Tavis. Amen. Thank you, Chief Rabbi. Thank, thanks, Zeb. Thanks for your interest, and thanks for having me on there and getting the word out. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.